Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And welcome to Secure the Insecure, the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seifert, and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. Starting as one of the eight von Trap family children of Blackpool in the Nolans and having that bug to be in the mood for dancing, she has shown over the past 40 years so many layers that makes her one of the most incredible women on our screens today. A loose woman, a singer, an author, an agony art, a reality star and a mum to three, she has lived, laughed and loved and she is here to tell the tale. I'm delighted to welcome to Security and Secure, Colleen Nolan. Hello, Colleen. Hello. My word, that was a fabulous introduction. Well, what can I say? You've had the career and a half. I hope I can live up to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're just mate. You are. I'm. I. You won't know. Remember this, but I met you just before you did Big Brother, Celebrity Big Brother, and I saw it because I went to the gym in the hotel you were staying at, and I saw you, and I oh. thought, yes. Oh my god, it's Colleen. She's going in Big Brother. This is the best signing, and obviously Dens had been in it beforehand, and I just thought, wow, they've got it. They've nailed it. Oh, brilliant thank you you should have stopped me at that point going in if you'd have been a real <laughs> yeah uh less about that the better i'm gonna say yeah. because this is a mental health podcast and it's a celebrity podcast and it's where i celebrate people's careers and you've had a career and obviously for those that would have seen you on piers morgan's live stories and if they saw you with a uh, dr mandy Sadagari on in therapy a couple of years ago they'll get an a kind of insight into you but for me, what I find fascinating is the fact that you've been working in show business since the beginning, since day dot. Yes, yeah, since the age of two, actually. Which is amazing um, because your sisters yeah. were already performing and yet you kind of had to grow up wanting to be that, but also growing up as your own identity, as Colleen yourself. Yeah, I mean, I spent all my young life, obviously, performing with my whole family and then eventually just me and my sisters. Um, yeah, I never really thought about doing it by myself in a way but it's just how life how the turn life gave me I guess So did you ever feel like you were Colleen Nolan or did you just think I'm one of the sisters, I'm the younger sister, I'm part of the Nolans When I was obviously growing up yeah I was just always, I was the baby Nolan (laughs) Um, but yeah it's still weird it's still um, it's really strange because when I was with my sisters um, I was the really quiet one. Like, they used to go mad at me because I never spoke in interviews. And I was really quite shy. When it, I, I mean, I, I grew up not being able to get a word in anyway at home because there was eight kids and I was the youngest. So I, ne- I never, I rarely got a chance to speak. Like I said, when I was touring with my sisters and we'd do things like this or radio shows, all of those things, when they'd finish, they'd go, God, you're going to have to learn to talk. You never talk. So they was, there was no one more shocked than my family that I ended up on a chat show talking about everything. And, and I think it's all the years I've built of not speaking and now I just can't shut up. <laughs> but do you think and it's, a lot of people wish I could. But do you think it's a thing, though, that you've lived through so much that you weren't really able to speak out because they would speak for you, whereas now's your chance to just speak. And you've kind of built up all this knowledge that now, you know what we say, that knowledge is power, that now you've got all this power, mm-hmm. that now you can speak out. Yeah, I guess it is that. And I think sometimes when you're quiet and listening to everyone else and watching 
especially older, and they were older by, please don't kill me for this, but they were older by quite a few years. You know, the next one to me was five years older, and then my eldest sister was 15 years older. And so I learned a lot by watching them grow up and go through things and thinking to myself, oh, I'm not going to react like that if that ever happens to me and stuff like that. So I do think you learn a lot sometimes by being quiet and watching. And, yeah, I guess then just finding my own voice was was quite a a revelation for me. (laughs) Well, I read your sister's autobiography they wrote together last year. And the way that they saw the world in terms of being in Japan and even the fact of working in the old men's clubs all the way through the nights. You'd come home from school, work in the clubs, finish up, I don't know, 2am, 3am, get home, go sleep for a couple of hours, go back to school. For them, obviously, they were at a stage where they were really finding their identity, whereas you just went along with the flow, I presume, as if it was just normal. Well, I guess because they were doing it from the age of two, so to me it was just normal. I didn't know any other life. I mean, looking back now, and certainly... When I became a mother myself and my my kids got to an age that I got when I first started performing, and I used to look at my kids and think, can't imagine putting this two-year-old now in the car, driving four hours, doing two 45-minute spots in a working men's club and driving home again. It's only as I got older, like I said, with my own family, that I realised it was quite a bizarre life. But for me as a kid, it was just normal life. I didn't know any difference. But do you feel like you've missed out on your childhood? Do you, do you feel like you've missed out on anything? Because you had such amazing experiences, but they were manufactured. They weren't yours that you owned, really. Do you know, does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And I've, I've thought about that a lot. I think it's good and bad. I do think I missed out on a lot of childhood. I didn't realise at the time, but I did miss out on a lot of childhood. You know, when I wanted to play out with my friends, I couldn't because we were gigging. I remember at seven or eight wanting to join the Brownies and I couldn't because we had a gig. But equally, more so than my friends, I got to see a lot of the world at a very young age. So it was a it, it was a curse and a blessing all at the same time. Well, do you think that made you mature a lot younger because you got to see the world, because you're around so many adults, tour managers, people doing things for you, that you, were, you weren't around, like you said, brownies who were your age, that you had to grow up? Oh, definitely. I definitely grew up much quicker than um, than my friends of the same age. Um, you know, I know, especially as a teenager, you know, I'd come home and see some of my friends who were the same age and they were still doing the same things they'd done before I went away. And just their outlook on life was completely different to mine. Well, I'd, I, you know, I was kind of like the parent almost to them when I came home because I'd be thinking... I, you don't need to worry about that because you've not experienced life yet, really. Um, so I did grow up pretty quick. But I've also grown up, and I think that's where I am now, where I've always craved normality. You know, my favourite thing is the normal things in life. I crave them. But do you find it hard to relate to those who are having those normal lives because you've done so much that... Although you're not very flashy with what you've done, but when they're saying, oh my God, I've just, I don't know, gone to this restaurant and you're like, oh, I go there every week. You know, do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, for them it's normal and it's a big achievement, but you've done all those achievements. You've ticked all those boxes many years ago. Yeah, but it's funny, isn't it? Human nature is funny because they'll be saying to me, you know, I'll be going, oh God, I'm really annoyed. I've got to go to London this week. I've got to go to an awards show this week and I really don't want to go. I want to stay at home. And they're going, oh, I'd love to go to that. And it's just, we always want what we, we haven't got, really. Um, and I surround myself. You know, all my closest, closest friends are just normal people. My everyday friends are just normal people. And sometimes I envy the fact that they have got routine and they have got security. You know, they know that whatever job they're in they can stay in as long as they want or change jobs or whatever but they've always got the security of that whereas I live in a very insecure world we're going to come to insecurities and imposter syndrome indeed in a second because you wrote about that in your book on page 138 if in case you forgot but the big topic before that was on page 77 i told i've read every page of this book i loved it so much you talk about your friend from the stables who you fell out with so can you just relate that anecdote and then i want to talk to you a bit about friendships and almost use your mirror agony aunt head on for the next part i had a really um you know i had horses and it, they were on this big stable yard 
just a normal one, not a boss one, by the way. I made a really good friend there. And when I say really good, I mean, I thought I just loved being around her. She was really normal, really down to work, um, but was always so happy, no matter what the situation was, I could always rely on her to make me smile. And she was just fabulous to be around. She's like a breath of fresh air. And we saw each other literally every day. And I got to a point where I thought, she's going to be a part of my life forever. And literally one day she was, she decided to leave the yard we were on to move her horse. And it was only around the corner from me still. But from the day she moved her horse, I never saw her spoke to her again. And it was quite a... It's quite shocking for me, actually, because then you judge your own judgment, if you know what I mean. It's really hurtful, and it took me a good six or seven months, really, to kind of just accept it, because I didn't understand it. still don't understand it, actually. I lost a friend five years ago, and I still today don't really understand what happened. I know we met up maybe three years later, and he said, you know, my girlfriend's not the biggest fan of yours. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay. Well, I think that's the thing. I think that's the thing you have to accept, that things come and go in your life and maybe they're not meant to stay forever and you just appreciate them while they're there. You know, I had the best time with her, like I said. You know, in her mind, maybe she thought, well, I'm not I'm not at the same place now and, and so she moved on away from me. But I think it's sad. And I tried then not to let that influence anyone else on that because I don't want to meet people. I hate meeting people and... I'm not trusting them or, you know, I, I'm one of these that I trust everyone until they let me down and then and then I don't trust them again or, or they become acquaintances rather than friends. You know, probably if I met her in the street, we'd get on great because we just did, but I would never let her be that much part of my life again. Well, that's it. You can't, once that trust is broken, that respect is gone. How are you ever supposed to make it up? And, you know, people always say, oh, why don't you try again? Or, you know, if you went to a party and you saw each other, would you not reconnect just because? But you can't. When that trust is gone, That the trust is fundamental. It's the foundation. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think you necessarily have to fall out with them. You know, I'd never be rude to her. You know, I'd probably be thrilled if I saw her happen to be in the street, like I said, or the supermarket or wherever. And because we're both that type of person but I would just not let her in as close as I did because that trust is gone so you just think well she's just going to walk out again one day you know so yeah I, I I just think sometimes you have to accept that things weren't meant to be well that's really interesting that you said that if you saw her in the street you would talk to her and she would talk to you because it obviously means that you've got a very clear boundary of what you both will and won't accept and sometimes we don't all have those boundaries we've not communicated it in the past and therefore we both hide away and you know it's easier to to hide than to actually confront her well i think that was her that was her thought i think that's how she is i think if she saw me she might cross the street because she couldn't communicate obviously and i think she was quite but i did confront her at one point saying you know i don't i don't understand and why did that happen and she was very much she turned around and said oh I just moved. I just moved hot yards, you know, as in the the, the horse uh, stables. And I said, I didn't think moving your horse meant that you moved friends, but maybe that's just me. Um, and she couldn't explain it more than that, really. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's how different people react, isn't it? Whereas I think it would have been better for me to sit down. I'd have liked to have met up with her again and gone, what the hell went on there? Like, why has that happened? Because everybody around us, all our you know, outside the circle even, were very much like, I can't believe you two don't speak anymore. You're like best friends. I said, I know. And they honestly thought, they were saying to me, did you have a row? And I said, no, we've never rowed. Uh, did you have a falling out? No. I literally walked down to the yard. She moved a horse and I never spoke to her again. And I, you know, I lost sleep over it sometimes, trying to work that out. And then I just had to go, it's just the way it is. And it's, maybe she's got her own issues or her own reasons and maybe I just need to move on and I did. Well, that's a hard thing. Closure is one thing uh, from someone else, but it's the closure from yourself because we all suffer with paranoia. I don't think anyone who doesn't yeah. have paranoia and therefore yeah. you're always going to think the worst of yourself and if you think you're never going to get out of it because you've got that guilt and you're wearing that guilt and you're defining yourself by that guilt, that is really hard to go when you haven't got that person that you're really going to to say, it's okay. You know, that's all you need is yeah. that had to say, it, it's okay. You know, we fell out, we drifted, whatever. 
but it's yeah. okay. And if you haven't got that closure, it's so hard to move on. Yeah, I think closure is really, really, really important to be able to move on in life. Um, but I think it's very difficult to have, you know, if, if something has happened, if you have had a row um, or, you've, you know, you've just upset someone, it's easy to have that discussion. But it wasn't easy for us to have a discussion because nothing happened. We didn't have a row. We never fell out. The night before, you know, we were on the phone for an hour chatting about things and her moving the horse and I was saying, oh, I'll come down and help you. And and it just ended. And that's what was weird for me. But then I had to go, and they never have closure on that. All I can accept is, is that I, I haven't got that friendship now. And that I'll probably never understand why. And that's it. You will never understand it. But what's interesting yeah. is I watched a TED Talk this week which is so timely. Whilst reading your book, I finished your book, what, the section I was reading, and I put it down and I thought, you know what, I can't find anything to watch on TV. I'm going to watch a TED Talk. And it was all about friendships. So it was the first thing that came up. And there are two things that I took away from it. The first is that every seven years, we replace our friends. So if you've got 10 friends, and let's say you lose two friends, you replace those two people with two new people who basically yeah. fit that mould. So your friend from the stables, did you then make another stables friend who replaced that person? Yeah. Straight away, yeah, almost straight away. How um, amazing is that? Yeah, it was. It was incredible. And that makes sense now when you say that. I also think people find it very difficult. You see, I'm from, you know, as we've said before, I've grown up travelling the country, travelling the world, you know, being out of, you know, being away from home for weeks on end and then coming back and being able to slip back into that quite easily. But a lot of my friends who have grown up with a normal life, I think maybe they find that hard. So if you move away, they can't deal with it because it seems to be that if they move even slightly away from that circle, they have to move away and make new friends. But, yeah, that that makes sense. You know, and I, I do think all relationships, whether it's friendship-based or, you know, romantically, sometimes they have a shelf life and you just – and life takes you in different directions. So you just have to move on, I guess. Well, I've definitely realised that as a single person, and uh, and I, it'd be actually interesting to know from your perspective. I'm 28, and I'm, I've always been single my whole life. And you have gone through, if it's okay to say, you've been through two divorces and single, but you're now in a new relationship. So, yeah. how have you found those single times? Because I found that all my friends who are in relationships have all moved on, and I've kind of been left on my own because they're all doing things as couples or they're doing stuff as couples with their kids and so when you've got that family setting of husband wife children naturally you put two families together but then if you haven't got a partner are you as invited as much to family gatherings because the dad from family two hasn't got a dad to talk to you from family one yeah i think it's really hard for um you find that a lot with the whole friendship group growing up and then as you say, they each get to ages where they start to have relationships with children and then the ones that haven't, all of a sudden they're being left out or actually, in fact, want to be left out because they don't want to sit there and talk about kids all over dinner um, or relationships, in fact. I think when you're in a relationship and you've left a single friend behind, I think you need to always be aware to include them. And it is hard. It's like juggling, like juggling kids, really. You have to try and you know work out your time wisely that you can give as much as you can to each to each person it's the same with children you know if i do one thing with one of my kids i have to i mean in my head i always think that i need to make time for the other one as well um and i guess that's the same with relationships and friendships you know just because you know you've had this friend for years and you've always talked about everything and then you get a new partner and next thing you know you're not talking to your friend quite as much I get loads of letters about that, actually, because it is a jealousy thing as well. You do become a bit jealous and a bit bitter, and I was there for you when you were single, and now you've met someone and you don't want to know me. And I don't always think that's the case. I just think people don't don't think about it but as also, much as they should. I also think people don't really understand their true friendship. So this other thing I took from the TED Talk was that if you speak to someone between 40 and 80 hours and have 40 to 80 quality hours with one person they become an acquaintance and if it's 80 to 100 hours you're a friend and if it's 200 yeah. hours and over that's when it counts as a best friend and I went in my head and I wrote down all the friends that I've got and repositioned them and I thought okay 
this actually makes a lot of sense now because you are an acquaintance or you are a friend and yeah. therefore my expectations and the boundaries I've set actually shouldn't be what they are because yeah. here it is in black and white. Yeah, it shouldn't be as, it shouldn't be as high probably as you, as you put it, your expectations. And I also think it's easy to go, oh, he's my best friend, she's my best friend. But I actually, I truly believe that, like you just said, you can have so many acquaintances but actually, best friends, probably, you know, you can count on one hand. Friends that you think they're going to be there for life. I mean, I've got a friend in London who I've been friends with now for, and um, when I lived in London, we saw each other a hell of a lot. Now I live in the north, she's still in the south. Um, but I know what a great friend she is, because I can go and not talk to her for six months, and then I pick the phone up, and it's like we spoke yesterday. And for either of us, we know that if, you know, if she needed me or I needed her, we'd be there in the drop of a hat, even if we hadn't spoken to each other. And they're real friends, you know, and not having that. It's hard not to get jealous sometimes, but you shouldn't be. But then doesn't that make her an old friend rather than a best friend? Because it's based on nostalgia and based on the past, not the future. Well, I always base my... What, who I consider my best friends are the ones that I know will in some way always be in my life. I might have other friends along the way, but I just think she will be constant in my life, whatever, whether I see her on a regular basis or once a year. I know that she'll always be part of my life okay. in one way or another. And to me, that's, that's a good friend. Okay, so that's friendships. And this is all, and I'm I'm taking little sections out from your book, Live, Love, Love. I want to talk about imposter syndrome because both being in the showbiz bubble, you've been in it obviously for 40 years. I've been in it for about six years now. But it doesn't go away, does it? You've always got imposter yeah. syndrome. Always. Everything I do. And I've had people say to me, you know, why? And I said, I don't know. I don't know why. I guess, you know what it was as well, I think growing up, Again, I hate to keep harping on about it. Because I've been in the business so long, I never grew up having a normal life and then saying, oh, you know, when I'm older, I want to be on top of the pops or I want to be on TV. Everything just kind of happened over time. So I've never had that massive... You know, people used to say to me, what's your five-year plan? And I was like, I don't know what my five-day plan is, let alone five-year plan. So each thing that's happened, I've kind of questioned, like, how, how have I got that? <laughs> Why am I here? Um, and it is, I do suffer badly, actually, with imposter syndrome. But I suppose you kind of need it as well, because if you're not going to have that imposter syndrome feeling, then you're not going to necessarily perform. You know, I'll use an example of Loose Women, which has a rotating panel. And obviously in the past yeah. couple of years, they've really changed the panel and brought in a lot more diversity and a lot more new faces who are a lot younger and more varied. And therefore you are going to sometimes think, well, hold on a minute. Am I going to go because I'm one of the old school Loose Women's or am I here to stay? You know, and therefore every time you go into that show, you must be thinking sometimes, oh, is this going to be my last one? Well, uh, definitely, definitely in the industry I'm in, you always think this could be the last one. That's what I was saying about, you know, I'm not in a secure business because you're not. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, imposter syndrome, because it always keeps me, you know, people are always shocked that I still get really, really nervous about everything I do. I mean, even with women, I've been doing that nearly 20 years now. And before every show, I have a moment of utter nerves. <laughs> But I don't think that's a bad thing because I, I think it keeps, A, I think it keeps your feet on the ground to never think, you know, that you're indispensable because you are. I'm in an industry where, so I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Um, but yeah, you're right, you know, especially with loose women, they're being, I mean, it's a great show for diversity. I think it's one of the best. And for, women of all ages and all sizes. Um, you know, I, I do feel this woman hasn't got any isms for its ageism or, you know, or, or anything like that. So it's a great show to be on, but equally you go, oh, God, there are quite a lot of young ones coming in now. But that's just the industry I'm in, I guess. I want to come back to in a sec, but I just want to pick up what you said about how you feel nervous going onto the stage because 
I'm just reminiscing in my head about, for example, when Jay McDonald and Linda Bellingham were on the panel and they played up to the audience, you know, the innuendos, the naughtiness, everything like that. You had the audience. You haven't got that audience now, but I would have presumed at the time when the audience was there, you'd have loved it because you were used to performing as well. You're used to going on stage. And obviously we saw you sing a lot of times, you know, at Christmas, et cetera, that you were performing to the audience who were in front of you. And so you stripped that audience back. That's where I presume the nerves would come, not when they're there. Yeah, it's very... The nerves always come while I'm waiting backstage. Once I walk out, they go. But backstage, I question everything. Like, I stand there and think, I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing. What What is it the producer said to me? You know, all of those things. Once I come out, it's, I'm okay. But it's much harder without an audience because obviously there's no reaction and you thrive off reaction. So the one thing I definitely... Uh, probably more than most on the panel at the moment. I really miss having the audience there because I love that live feeling. That's what I'm used to. I love performing, whether it's performing during a chat show or singing a song. I just love performing. And obviously you haven't got social media in front of you. And so without the audience reaction in front of you, do you sometimes get paranoid when the show finishes, when it hits 1.30 to go, what have I said today? What's my family going to think? What's my friends going to think? What have I said? Am I going to regret what I've... Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Done. I've had that for 20 years. I always work, you know, whenever I've done listening and then it finishes, I think, oh, God, what have I said? What have I done? Or I get home and, you know, they're all a bit frosty with me and I think, what have I said? And it'll be something like, especially when my kids were teenagers, and I didn't think, you know, and I'd show a picture of them as a baby doing something stupid or a toddler. And I'd get home and I'd go, why did you show that picture? And I was like, why are you watching this? Someone should be at school. And it was at school, but my friend's family, my friend's mum watches it. So they'd be annoyed at me. Oh, yeah, like something I say, because I'm, I, I can't help. Um, I wish I was, in some ways, I wish I was more media trained. Because <laughs> then I've no one to shut up. But then I don't think it would work on loose women. Oh, a lot I... of the ones that have come on in the past that are our media trained don't last because you can't be. You have to be honest and open. You can't be media trained. Media trained people. I mean, I, I suppose I'm to an extent, and actually, to both of us to an extent, are media trained. You know, we know what Ofcom is. We know where the line is. But oh, good. Yeah, we can't help it. But yeah, but I'm, I'm sure I'm right in saying this, and I, I might have made this up, but I've just got a vivid memory of you talking about when you walked in on your son having sex. Have I made that up? No, I didn't walk in on him. 
he accidentally <laughs> accidentally he accidentally phoned me and didn't know his phone had gone off that was it yeah you said so this years it ago recorded, it was yeah it was years and years ago about 15 20 years ago but he um so it was during the night obviously and my phone just went to voicemail so it recorded everything for about four minutes well, this is the old school loose women, which was amazing. Did you did you miss that side of the? Because that obviously now it's a very news based show, and it feels sometimes a little bit clickbait. You know, do you know what I mean? Like we we all work in the media now, where it's very much about getting the press attention as you're almost free marketing. Yeah. Do you miss that old school loose women, which was you and Carol McGiffin just fighting for the sake of fighting? You'd always be arguing about something, um, and yeah. Dens and Janet and uh, Jane McDonald there, and it was all just it felt a lot more free. Well, it was free. I mean, it's not free now. It's a very, very different show because the world has changed. And, and I have to say for the better, in a, in a lot of respects, you know, you cannot get away with certain things now. However, it was a much easier show to do in those days. Now we're very, you know, everything we discuss in the meeting, all our opinions and all of that, they all have to be, you know, have to go up to a legal team and it has to be looked over to make sure, you know, that we're not going to offend well hopefully not offend and stuff like that. it's it, it's you very much self-edit on that show now and that's because of social media as well you know you'll go to say something that's genuinely your opinion and then straight away in your head you'll go no i will get trolled to death so i'm not going to say that and it, i think that's a shame really you know i i would like to think we can all have opinions and that doesn't warrant somebody being nasty to you just because they don't agree that's the world we live in now and it, yeah it's definitely more we're all more aware of that now but it's not the same well also it was like back in the day you did you tried loose at 5 30 i think it was called with jason gardner i remember being yeah. on the panel and then that was a mixture of men and women on the panel and then since then over the years we've always had those one-off loose men's and yeah. you know big campaigns loose men but Again, with this cancel culture, are you ever worried that loose women will just get cancelled one day and they're just going to make it loose and it'll be men and women on the panel? Because I've always liked loose women in particular, and I've watched it more or less since the beginning, I think, in school holidays to begin with, because it meant I got to learn about women and girls, and I had no idea a lot of these things. And so you taught me how to treat girls. When I was going on dates, this is what makes a gentleman. And it was a brilliant education tool for me personally. But are you worried that's all being cancelled now and it will just be loose going forward? Um, yeah, I, I hope it never stops being what it is. I think it's great that every now and again, you know, we have the loose men day or loose loved ones where it's men and women. But I think the premise of the show was all in, about women and every age of women, which is great. Every generation, really, of women. And I think it's interesting. And the majority of it, our audience, are women. And there's not many shows now that are... Um, just aimed at women and women of all ages so i think it would be a shame to make it just become loose because it'll be like every other show out there and i still don't think men at half 12 a lot of men would sit and watch it well you would move it to 5 30 and go back to that loose or even have it as a you know they tried obviously good morning britain being good evening britain if you had a nightly show it's basically like therapy you could just have therapy each night and watch on tv yeah, no, that would be good, but then let's call it a different show. Let's just come up with a different show. And also, the 5.30 one, it was really weird. We tried a late-night loose one as well, and that didn't work, actually. You'd have to really, really, really get men that are very, very open, and that is a problem, I think, that we're trying to overcome generally, aren't we, in, in life, is to get men to talk more and be more open and honest with their feelings. Because a lot of the times when we've done it with the guys, they're brilliant, but they come on and it's all it's all jokes. You know, but when you actually ask them an in-depth question, they'll kind of bat it away. I just feel it like it's a different show, but I still enjoy it. It's, it's really nice to do every now and again. to have men. I love having men's opinion as well on the show. I just think loose women is loose women. It would be like, it's almost become part of the furniture now, I think. I completely agree. And it's, it's nice when you get the right panel. You know, when you get the right panel... It is amazing. And especially with like loose men, Roman Kemp talking about the idea of suicide and Ollie Murr's talking about mental health. That's when it's really good because it's not just 
here's the housewife's favorite who's just come on just to talk it's this is someone who's yeah. got an, an opinion and it's same with your panel what's your favorite panel of, of all time oh god of all time if you could take an anchor and uh three co-hosts for you well it's really difficult because over the years like i used to love working with jane i love working with carol Kay Adams is brilliant anchor, but equally Ruth is like one of my best friends now and brilliant anchor as well, but completely different. Brenda Edwards now become one of my closest friends. Janet's great because she's just Janet and she doesn't care. And I love that about her. So there's loads of different panels. I find it hard sometimes because we are, there's a lot more loose women now, as, as you said, um, a, a lot more on board. There used to be like a core 10 of us really. And now I think there's 22 on the book. And sometimes when you go on and it's a show with a new panellist or two new panellists, you know, it takes it takes a long time to build up that rapport with someone where you can totally ease. They get your humour and with no sarcasm without being offended. Um, sometimes that's hard now, not because the women that they're getting, they're, they're all great, but... That rapport that I have with Carol and Kay and, you know, Ruth and all that, that that's happened over years because we've been there years, those ones. Well, those are the ones that, you know, you did Loose in New York. When in the, in the old studios at uh, the South yeah. Bank, you would be dressing up every other week, having custard mm-hmm. pie in your face happens. or Nana's yeah. Allowed. You know, those are the iconic moments that we knew your friendships. We knew that if you and Cal McGiffin were going to be on the panel, there would be a bit of rivalry. There'd be a bit yeah. of banter going. And you're right, now yeah. it's a lot more serious. Well, and also me and Carol on the panel could have, like me and Janet now, you know, we could have banter on the panel because we knew but it never spilled off, you know, once the, once the um, programme was finished, we were still great friends. And we used to, it was great that you could feel comfortable enough to have this, heated debate with one of your mates and know it wasn't going to ruin a friendship. What happens now is if it's a new person and you don't agree on each other's opinion, I would be loath to be with them how I would be with Carol because I don't know them well enough yet and I'd be scared that they would think I was being mean or, or they'd take it really personally. So, yeah, I just think that that just comes with time. It does, but the problem is when you've got panellists like yourself who would be back in the day booked three days a week, it was a lot easier mm. to do that. Whereas now, you know, and you've all, when you become a loose woman, you've got a profile behind you, even if you're a journalist or a celebrity profile, you know, someone like Frankie Bridge from The Saturdays or Katie Piper, yeah. yes, they're going to come on, but they've got a media world away from that. And so they're only going to be able to do one or two days a month. And therefore, it is yeah. a lot harder to build that rapport. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but luckily, still, we, we still have got a court. You know, I do two shows a week, and I'm normally on. It's normally with Ruth and Janet and Jane or Brenda and now Carol, actually. I've worked a lot more with Carol. So whenever it's those core people, then it's like, for me, it's how Luce always used to be. 100%. Um, one more question about Luce, and I hope this is okay to ask, because uh, you do mention it, and you've put it on record in your book, what happened with Kim Woodburn. I don't want to talk about... Mm-hmm the specifics of what happened. I, everyone knows what happened. What I'm yeah. interested with yourself, Colleen, if it's okay, is to just talk about the mental aspect of it because it got really bad. And obviously you went on this morning afterwards and you were really upset mm. still and it broke my heart and you wanted to quit show business. Now, how did you get yourself out of that? Because like we've said, and we've spoken about so much here about imposter syndrome, about paranoia, all of that is coming all at once, plus all the public getting involved, plus Ofcom and just the whole media blast around it. It was all sensationalised, way too much. Mm. But how mentally did you manage to just focus on yourself and get yourself up again? Well, I think initially when it happened, I tried to still continue. Um, you know, Lucy and were like, oh, you'll, we'll see you next week. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I went on this morning. I think when I went on this morning and broke down, that it hit home there, then how horrendous it actually was. And I was trying I was trying to carry on because the professional in me was, oh, it's happened and you just have to carry on. But actually, it was one of the worst times of my life. I was also doing a massive PR. Uh, I was meant to be going on tour, so I had a big a PR um, campaign I was doing. And... It was all out of control. The whole thing just went 
out of control very quickly. And I didn't understand it. I think, again, that was the problem. It's a bit like the friendship thing. You know, if you've done something wrong that you can acknowledge and hold your hand up to, but when you've done, in your opinion, you haven't really done anything wrong, um, it's really hard to fight it. And and you feel like there's nowhere to turn and everyone hates you. That's how I felt. Um, so I had to just cancel everything and I, I needed to go home be in my own environment, be with my children, be with my animals, and get everything back into perspective. But it was just TV. It's not real life. You know, people are dying in the world, and, you know, I'm I'm there crying myself to sleep at night. So I just had to take time out. And at first it was, I'm not going back to it. I'm just going to give it all up and get a proper job for the first time in my life. And then... You know, as time went on, and again, lots of communication. I was very lucky. I was surrounded by a fantastic network of people, family, very close friends, being supportive. I just had to work it out in my own mind. You know, after all these years, am I just going to end it on this? And it got to a point where I thought, no, I'm not. But it took time. You know, it's like you say, it's okay not to be okay sometimes, and I had to go home and not be okay for a while. Uh, but communication is a, is a brilliant thing. So uh-huh. Once I w- worked it out and I got back out there, it was it's done. It's okay. Life moves on. And I was, it was lasting longer with me than it was with anyone else because, as you know, you read something in the paper and you'll talk about it and for 10 minutes it's like, oh, my God, can we have that happen? But the next day you're reading another story and you've forgotten about it. And I thought, I'm the only one still thinking about this right now, so I need to get a grip. Well, that's it. But you're allowed to grieve. And I think grief is such a powerful thing. And something that we don't talk about enough is that you can grieve through these moments. It doesn't have to be just because someone passes away. But everything you do, you can grieve from. And you know you've got to go through the motions. You've got to go to the bad and work through the bad. And then you'll come up again. But you can't just jump over the bad because it will always be there. You can't hide from that. No, and I don't think you should. And I think initially that's what I was trying to do. And that just makes you... It's just delaying that reaction and making you feel worse. I think sometimes you just have to face it. You have to have those days of not wanting to get out of bed and maybe not getting out of bed and having a good cry all day. But equally then, the other side is you have to be strong and you have to push through it and force yourself to get up and live. Um, And all of a sudden, you know, two or three days in, you realise you're not forcing it anymore. You are just naturally getting out of bed and getting on with life. But, I, you know, when people try and you know hide their feelings or their emotions i think that's when it becomes turns into depression and mental health issues and again it's all about communication and finding someone to talk to and whether that's a friend or a counselor or family or your partner then you know that that's a great thing if you can find that did you do therapy? Because obviously the year before you had done Mandy Saligaris in therapy for Channel 5. So did you put yourself back into therapy to work through that? Or did you literally just do it in your own head? Um, I didn't put myself back into therapy when that happened. But I did talk a lot to, like I said, friends, family, people. In, you know, some of the loose women, you know, kept, I kept in touch with them. Yeah, my kids were amazing for putting everything. It's just that things go out perspective, don't they? And you just need someone to put a bit of logic back. And I had a lot of, I'm good at talking to myself as well. So, yeah, I, I just kind of worked it out in my head. So I needed that time. I needed that time to go home and just be, just be normal. You aren't very normal and you live the Cheshire life. But obviously there's a big reality show that's in Cheshire, The Real Housewives yeah. of Cheshire. Why have we not seen you on that yet? Because that is not me. <laughs> well, but you've done every other reality show friend. now. Oh, yes, I know, but it's called The Real Housewives of Cheshire, but I don't know any of them. I don't know anyone that lives like that. I mean, they actually do, but I, I, I'm more, you know, I remember it too young. It was a program called The Good Life. I'm more about that. It's all very, you know, I'm not a designer person. I'm not going out to red carpet events and drinking champagne all the time. I'm at home with a cup of tea mocking goats out and dogs and cats and horses. That's their idea of real life you know, real Housewives of Cheshire and then I could show you another side of another real Housewives of Cheshire and it'd be nothing like that then. 
well, I can vouch for that about the red carpets because every time I do one of these red carpets at the TV Awards or Pride of Britain Awards, all the loose women will come along and you all hold hands. You make a little line. You don't even come to us reporters. You just go straight. We're going straight in. We're going to get the, the wine. <laughs> Well, it's not to get the wine. Honestly, if I could go around the back and miss the red carpet, bit, I would. I get mortified on the red carpet. Um, but yeah, we do all. Well, normally we hold hands because everyone's saying you need to stick together because they want a picture of all of us, you know. So, and in those events, it's so easy very quickly to to lose each other. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just not red carpet. I'd be quite happy going in the fire exit and meeting them all in there. Well, you only have to do it for 30 seconds. I've done five hours. The TV Awards, 2018, I think it was. It was the really, really, really heavy snow day. It was just oh, yeah. horrific. Everyone was late because the cars couldn't get in. Everyone got on the, the trains and you all came in all at once. No one wanted to be there. It was horrific. But I still had to stand there for five hours. You had to do 30 seconds. I know. But it's just that um, it, I just want embarrassing. <laughs> Because <laughs> I always think they're trying to move me along to get a famous person. <laughs> I feel like when they're calling my name, it's to say, can you move along? Because there's someone really famous behind you and you're blocking them. Yeah. And also, you know, you've just been looked at. And, oh, God, I don't know. It's mortifying. Well, look, let's put this all together. Your book, Live, Laugh, Love, is out now. God, it's such a tongue teaser. <laughs> you've written it in such a clever way. With my hot chocolates and having a bath, you're talking to me. You're not talking at me. You're literally talking to me as a friend. A couple of swearers in there. But you made me laugh, as well as the you know when you and you started with a lot of divorce stuff but you still yeah. made me laugh how easy was it or hard was it to write well i'm so glad i did because that was my intention uh when i was writing it and i wanted it to feel that you were sitting with me having a coffee or a glass of wine or whatever you're into and we were just chatting and that's the exact feel i wanted to get across and i and i think it does it's my favorite book that i've done so far for that reason um and actually it was easy to write because it was just it was just how I, I am and I speak and I wanted it to be left like that. And luckily when it went off to the publishers, obviously they pre-feed it and check it and edit it. But, but they sent it back kind of unedited for the first time and they let me just be me in it. And that's what, thankfully that's what a lot of people are saying and it's come across well. And I wanted it to feel like that because I am, that book is exactly who I am and how I would be if you were sitting having a cup of tea with me. And that's the most important thing. That's something I've always wanted to do on my podcast, especially with celebrities, is to just go, who's the real you? You know, we see this media version of everyone, but yeah. what's the real version? And you've done that beautifully in your book. What was the reaction like, though? Because you do give, you do give Shane and Ray a little bit of stick at the beginning of the book. Did you give them approval before <laughs> you put it out to the publishers? No. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's asked me that. Oh, did you ask Shane and Ray for the permission? No, absolutely not. It's so ho- what happened. So hold on, you know? Shane is doing Wimbledon Panto this year. Is he going to have your book yeah. on stage at Wimbledon, <laughs> ready to you know give you the backlash? <laughs> Probably ready to get back to it. Um, no, I mean it's hard. You know that part of the book's hard because obviously I have to talk about marriage and divorce and all of that. Therefore, I have to go on my personal experience of that. But it's hard, you know, especially with Shane, because it was so long ago. So with him, you know, if I speak to him, he goes, Christ, can you just shut up talking about it? But it's hard when you when you have to, really. No, they're both great about it, and I'm really lucky we're such good friends, all of us. And it's been fine, but I'm not going to deny that what happened happened, and they can't either. And I don't need their permission for me to write my version of events in the same way that they, if they want to, they could do exactly the same. Well, you end your book with the words, we are all a work in process. And I just think you've summed it up perfectly. And it sums up everything you've done. You know, your amazing career you've had on stage and also the personal life you've had off stage. We are all a work in process. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I can't thank you enough. It was just, I'm so grateful you spoke to me. Um, Thank you. Well, I'm very, very honoured that you asked to speak to me. And thank you too. It's lovely. Colleen Nolan there. Her book, Live, Laugh, Love, is out to buy now. So many stories, but so many anecdotes and just so much advice she gives you. You know, an amazing columnist in the mirror of it. I love reading anyway. But on Lou Summon, she's just the best person. She makes you laugh. She makes you think. 
And she just is just so rounded. And that's what we want to associate ourselves with. Because it's so easy to be around people who are a bit toxic. Be around people like Colleen. Be around people who bring the best out of you. Now, you've been listening to Scooty and Scooter with me, Johnny. So if you like what you heard, please do go and rate the podcast. Give it five stars. Leave a comment and share it with your friends. It's so important that you say it's okay to not be okay. And whilst we're talking about podcasts, if you love Lucy Men, Kate Thornton, Katie Piper, Sherry Hewson, Denise Welsh, they've all been on my podcast with Kitty and Scoot. Go and check out their podcasts with books. Colleen's book, Live, Laugh, Love, is out to buy now. Her sisters, Linda and Anne Nolan, did a book last year called Stronger Together. It's an emotional read, but such an important read about their cancer journeys. Please do go and buy a copy of those. I cried a lot through it, but I learned so much. And also, when you're reading Colleen's book, she speaks about her manager, Melanie Blake. Melanie Blake has also been on my podcast, Kidding Skirt. I just want to give a shout out to her books, Ruthless Women and The Thunder Girls. Two incredible, incredible books. Bitchy girls, there's everything. If you like Footballers' Wives, you like Dynasty, you love the gossip side of the reality world and the media world, go and buy her books. Her next book, Guilty Women, is out next year. And it's the follow-up to Ruthless Women. So get a copy of Ruthless Women ASAP and then you can go and read Guilty Women next year. You've been listening to Kidding Skew with me, Johnny Seifert. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. 